The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer greatly from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. God forbid, Lord, no such thing shall ever happen to you. He turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an obstacle to me. You are thinking, thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wishes to come after me must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What profit would there be for one to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? Or what can one give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in his Father's glory, And then he will repay all according to his conduct. The Gospel of the Lord. Bishop Duca has asked that uh, a letter be read to all the faithful at the diocese and the masses this weekend. And so I will begin with. uh, the reading of that letter, and then proceed to the homily. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I am grateful to God that the people of our diocese were mostly spared the ravages of Hurricane Laura. However, Hurricane Laura inflicted devastating and long-lasting damage to the people of the southwest and northwest areas of Louisiana, particularly those living in the Diocese of Lake Charles. In response, the Diocese of Baton Rouge will be joining other diocese, groups, and individuals to offer assistance in this time of need in the following ways. First, beginning today, August 28th was the release of the letter, our diocese will provide an online giving fund portal for Hurricane Laura Disaster Relief Fund on our diocesan webpage, www.diobr.org. Once on the webpage, the Give Now button will also contribute, will, will allow contributions to be made to the Diocese of Lake Charles and others if needed to provide direct relief to, hurricane, to victims of Hurricane Laura and to sustain the charitable and spiritual work of the church in these affected areas of Louisiana. Secondly, this weekend, August 29th and 30th, and next weekend, September 5th and 6th, I'm asking every parish of the diocese to hold a special second collection for Hurricane Laura disaster relief, which will be forwarded to the Diocese of Baton Rouge. These contributions as well will be offered to the Diocese of Lake Charles and others if needed to provide relief to victims of Hurricane Laura and to sustain the charitable and spiritual works of the church in these affected parts of Louisiana. And thirdly, Online donations can also be made through the Catholic Charities website at www.ccdiobr.org. Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Baton Rouge was active the day after, the, after Hurricane Laura passed, assisting evacuees who landed in Baton Rouge uh, and were directed to local hotels rather than shelters because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Our Catholic Charities is working with the Catholic Charities of Lake Charles and Acadiana and the Diocese of Alexandria to help assess needs and distribute relief. Donations to Catholic Charities will be used to help victims of Hurricane Laura in these affected areas. 
We have known the perils and losses of hurricanes and floods throughout our diocesan history and have received generous support from the diocese of our province and from people across the United States who wanted to show their love, concern, and support in the long, hard work of recovery and rebuilding. While it's not possible to address every need, together as a diocese, we can make a difference in the lives of many who need help in recovering their lives. We do so in a spirit of generosity, grateful to God for all gifts. Please, let's give back generously as we have received. And hope, Bishop Michael Duca, August 28th, 2020. So in accordance with his request, um, we'll have a second collection today as well as next weekend. And I'll go to the diocese to send, uh, said to Lake Charles and others um, for, uh, for continued eff- relief efforts in those, uh, in those communities. And uh, said we, re- we received this on Friday, uh, so we didn't have time to get it in the bulletin, but we will have more information in the bulletin next weekend as well. Uh, if you'd like to, to check that, or we'll have it, uh, if not today, certainly tomorrow on the parish website and on the parish Facebook page, with the, which the links will be active um, to utilize for those places indicated. Now to the homily. The four hardest words, in many estimations, for us to say if we really mean it, is the part of the prayer that, will, that says, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. It's the recognition that the perfect prayer of Jesus puts on our lips something that calls us to change. Something that often comes with a cost. And has a weight, because very often it comes to us as a cross. Thy will be done. In our first reading today, we hear the prophet Jeremiah lamenting his vocation and his experience in life. If you ever want to hear a story of trials, you can certainly go read Job, but you can also tag along with it Jeremiah. There's a book of the Bible called Lamentations. Jeremiah wrote it. It's obviously not a positive thing. It's a series of sorrows expressed from his heart. And we, and we get a, a certain peek into the inner life of Jeremiah today, into the inner workings of his soul, and what exactly he feels in relation to what God has called him to do. You duped me, O Lord, and I let myself be duped. In other words, why did I get myself into this? Why did I say yes? To following the will of God. What has it gotten me? Everyone laughs at me. Everyone rebukes me. Everyone shouts reproaches at me. Not a kind word is said in response to my presence. Everywhere I go, I am hated because I fulfill the will of God. Every time I open my mouth to proclaim what God wants me to say to the people as a prophet, it is violence, it is outrage, and no one wants to hear that. Lord, why? I don't want to speak on your behalf anymore. I want, to, I want to stay quiet. Bottle it up. Keep it inside. Don't say a thing. Then at least people won't hate me so much. Maybe I can have a day of peace. But when I try to hold it in, it becomes like a fire in my breast. And it comes forth anyway. I cannot resist. It's Jeremiah who knows 
that when he comes to the Lord, there is suffering. Honesty is a wonderful thing that he teaches us. Very often we think of the lives of the saints and so many of the saints who, who very piously respond to the cross coming to us. But it's also an encouragement to us whenever we hear those who are less graceful. Jeremiah, why did I get myself into this? Why did I say yes to you, God? This is hard. Why did I say yes? Why do I keep saying yes? Why am I here? In so many ways, when we come across the will of God for us, it is a challenge. And it is good to be honest with the Lord about how we feel about the particular challenge. Do we welcome it? Do we fight against it? Do we understand it? Are we confused? Jeremiah, though, is willing to continue to persist in this. He wants to set it aside. He wants to leave it behind. He wants to have something of that peace that everybody else seems to possess. He's looking around in other places. You can read the writings of Jeremiah. He's looking around in other places. He's going, all the wicked people are doing just fine. Their life is great. And here I am doing the Lord's will and everything is terrible. I'm hated on all sides. Would that I could have some peace like all the wicked have. But he doesn't. He says, I want to set it aside. I want to, set, I want to bottle it up, but I can't. I'm willing to bear the cross. I'm willing to say the things that God puts upon my lips, knowing good and well that it will not be welcome messages. I'm willing to do it. And he perseveres. Over and again, he speaks the message that no one cares to hear. And over and again, he is rebuked, laughed at, mocked, rejected. And he continues to persevere, all for the glory of God. Because he knows that despite his experience of things, the wicked will have their reward today. His awaits him in eternal life. In a similar way, we see Peter Responding to the reality of the will of God. Jesus, the gospel recounts, begins to tell his disciples about the sufferings that he is to endure. How he's to suffer, to die, to be raised. And Peter takes him gently aside and says, Lord, God forbid that that ever happen. I won't let it happen. This can't be the case. Like Jeremiah, he's not pleased at the will of God. Right? Very strongly fighting against it. God forbid that this should happen. Lord, you're supposed to come in your glory. There's supposed to be majesty and honor. You're supposed to be the the king of kings. And all nations are supposed to come to you. There's supposed to be joy and peace and goodness. And you come here and you speak of the cross, of suffering, of death. This can't be the case. And the Lord quickly rebukes him with a word that must have stung Peter straight to the heart. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're an obstacle to me. You're trying to prevent me from fulfilling the will of the Father. You're thinking not as God does, but as human beings do. Peter receives this rebuke and is willing to stay. 
He doesn't like it apparently still. It's not as if he has a dramatic conversion. Is like, wow, then I'm all on board with this, with this cross talk. Let's, 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 let's go up and rejoice in the cross. Peter doesn't say that. He simply stays with Jesus. And much as it is a trouble for him, much as it, as it is stirring of great unrest within his heart, he is willing to first be honest with the Lord, second, to be willing to pick up that cross, to be willing to bear the cross of doing the will of the Lord, following after Jesus in the midst of all of this, and lastly, to persevere, even to the place where Christ himself was killed. Jesus then turns to his disciples, the others gathered around him, and gives them and us a very simple reality check. If you're going to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow me, period. If you want to follow me, it will cost something. It's not easy, but it is certainly worth it. The world today invites us to comfort. We're invited to have quick service everywhere we go. We're invited to have all of, our, all of our needs taken care of. If there's anything of pain and suffering, the world itself would like to reject it. You're sick, you have to take all these extra medicines just in case. If you're dying, you can't just actually die and experience death. We're going to save you from the suffering of dying. We're going to kill you ahead of time. Euthanasia, right? You have a child you don't want that's an inconvenience for your life? Abortion, easily fixed. All of this, simply to hear, to be able to, to, to make life as easy as it can be for us. But this is not the gospel of Christ, and this is not what we are called to live as Christians. The reality is that the world offers to us an anti-gospel. A gospel of take care of yourself. Be comfortable, be safe, be secure. Take care of number one. Enjoy this life. You only live once. An encouragement simply to forget the reality that Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The world seeks comfort. Christ invites us to pick up our cross. Sometimes this happens in particular ways with the teachings of the church. Very often the reality is we know that we are currently dispensed from the obligation to attend Sunday Mass, but it doesn't mean we're not still obligated to keep holy the Sabbath. For many people in the world today, many Catholics treat today as Saturday part two. We don't have to go to Mass because the bishop said so. So we're going to watch whatever's on TV. I don't even know if sports are on TV, what's on, <laughs> if we have sports anymore these days. Saturday part two, not to be concerned about it. The reality is that the Lord does indeed call us to Sunday Mass. He still invites us. He still offers these gifts. In fact, if we, if we had the COVID restrictions, if we had to do the 50% uh, spacing and all those, all those other things, we would need no less than seven Masses every weekend, and all of them would be full if each of our parishioners here at St. Anne and St. Vincent came to Mass each weekend. We would absolutely need seven Masses a weekend. I'd be tired. <laughs> Y'all don't even understand. This is my second Mass today, and I'm already like, whew, looking forward to a nap. But the reality, we, we should have seven Masses a weekend here at our parish. If we heard the voice of the Lord speaking to the church that says, keep the commandments, 
go to Mass. Our world today treats life as something to be avoided nearly at all costs in so many ways, except for number one, one's individual self. Many many Catholics in the Church have simply tossed aside the reality of the teaching of the Church against contraception because we don't want to be inconvenienced, lest a child actually be born and we have to deal with something other than our own desires. Connected with that, the reality is so many in the world, and especially in our church, sadly, still continue to look to pornography to satisfy, see sex before marriage as not a big deal. The church tells us to go to confession once a year at least. I can just go straight to Jesus. I don't need a priest. The church invites us to make sure our weddings are blessed in the church. No, thank you. I'll have a beach wedding, a nice mountaintop view. A glorious country background, beautiful oaks. The church invites us, if we we remain in sin, we ought not to approach the altar of God to receive Holy Communion. And yet many, and even in a state of grave sin, set aside the law of Christ and his church simply to say, my will be done. It's my right. The church calls us to show mercy. The world so easily allows us to place ourselves over and against anyone that doesn't believe everything that we ourselves espouse. These are just the teachings. There are countless others. But not only these things. Even when the will of God is not something that we are doing or not doing, it's the reality that very often the will of God is something that still is difficult for us. Illness. Suffering. Troubles with our job, troubles in our family life, troubles in our spiritual life, the reality of death. This and countless other things are places where the Lord is inviting us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. They are uncomfortable. They're difficult for us. Whether it's the teachings or whether it's the life circumstances in which we find ourselves, very often in many hearts, even though we may not say it, we are like Jeremiah or we are like Peter who are saying, I don't like this. I won't do it. I refuse to accept it. And if we can say that to God, if we can actually speak that to God, good, you're on first step. Step one, complete. If you can actually speak it to the Lord, Rather than simply to echo it in the own chamber of your heart. The second part then is where the challenge comes. Even if I don't like it, am I willing to pick up the cross and follow? Am I willing to deny myself? Am I willing to put my will aside and seek after the will of Jesus Christ? Because that's where it costs us something. Almost every time it costs us something. It can cost us time, it can cost us money, it can cost us our plans, it can cost us our desire, our power, our earthly pleasures. It can even cost us people in our lives. When we seek to do the will of the Lord, when we deny ourselves and pick up our cross, it costs something. But if we persevere, the riches are ours for the taking. If we persevere... It is all grace. It is everything that our heart desires and all those other things seeking our own will and more. 
This is why St. Paul invites us to make of ourselves a living sacrifice. It's an important thing he's saying, right? A sacrifice is something that is offered. When the people of Jerusalem, when they would go to offer a sacrifice, it was something that was consumed. You would take a, you would take a lamb at the various offerings. You would, you, would, you would cut its throat, bleed it, and then you would, you would allow it to be consumed on the altar. You can't take it back. You would take the, the, the first fruits of your, uh, of, your, uh, of your fields. You would take the, come with grain. You would come with, with the, the first fruits of your, of your wine. And you would offer these things to the Lord. They would pour it out on, a, on an altar that was consumed in fire. You can't take it back. St. Paul is writing to the Romans, right? The common Roman practice, even the Roman pagan worship, was to offer incense to the gods. Offer, they would have a fire there. They have charcoals. You would take a handful of incense and offer it to the, to the pagan gods. It would be burned up, consumed. You can't take it back. And St. Paul writes and he says, make of your entire lives a living sacrifice. Something that I am given, you are given wholly and entirely to Christ, and we can't take it back. Elsewhere, St. Paul writes simply, you are Christ's. You are Christ's. In our baptism, we no longer belong to ourselves. We are his. And St. Paul encourages us to live that reality, to make of ourselves a living sacrifice, Walking at each moment of the day, doing our best, knowing that good and well will fall short. All of us are sinners. I I certainly can give you a long list of my own weaknesses. But the reality is that he calls us to make of ourselves a living sacrifice. Every single day, walking and doing the best that we can to recognize the will of God. To deny ourselves. To set our will aside. To pick up our cross. And to follow. Again. The world will offer us an anti-gospel. Comfort, peace, pleasure, self. Christ offers us eternal life. The choice is very simply ours, and our Lord says it. If we want to gain our life, we must lose it for him to make of ourselves a living sacrifice. If we gain our lives here and now... If we have everything we desire, if our will is fulfilled, if the things that we seek in this life we all gain, we will lose it. And it's the most grievous of losses. Because it's not just a loss in a temporary sense as we would have here when we lay down our sacrifices, when we lay down our cross, when we lay down our, our, our will rather here. When we lose our life, it's eternally. What does it gain us if we have everything we desire in the world but we lose our soul. What does it gain us? The answer, of course, nothing. Absolutely nothing. So the invitation for us today is to do the word of the Lord, to take him at his, to take him at his word, to deny ourselves in whatever way, to pick up our cross and to follow. Again, It costs us something. It's difficult. We probably won't like it. But if we're willing to be honest with Christ, if we're willing to turn to him, if we're willing to allow him to fill us with grace and to strengthen us, like he did with Jeremiah, like he did with Peter, and countless other saints of the church, we will be able to persevere. 
And every cost that we've offered in this life will be more than paid back. Peter, when he was struggling in his own vocation elsewhere, turned to the Lord and he said, Lord, we've left everything behind. We've given up everything. What do we gain? What do we gain? And our Lord's response was simple. Peter, whoever gives up anything in this life for my sake or for the sake of the gospel will receive a hundredfold here and now and even more in the life to come. Our sacrifices cost us, but Christ is far more generous than we can ever be. This is a great encouragement to us. So the Lord comes to us today and presses upon our hearts with the invitation to pick up our cross. Let us not be afraid, not to be fearful. Certainly we don't have to like it, but to speak to Christ, to say yes and have the courage to follow.